Well, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and have a seat, and um, I would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Thank you, brother. 1 Thessalonians, we're going to jump right in, and um, I'm going to do a better job in this service than I did in the first on time management. So pray for me right now, okay? Pray for me. <laughs> um, and uh, the Lord did some pretty uh, special stuff in the first service, and so I'm looking forward to sharing with you um, in, from the Word from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 as we continue in our new series called Better Days Ahead. And um, last week, we began talking about um, how to identify a faithful, healthy church, and we were going from the Word looking at this church in Thessalonica. And so um, what I want to do is just start reading right now. I'm going to start right in the Word right now, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, which we worked on last week to get us caught up, and we'll take off. I'll give you a little bit of introduction about and review from last Sunday, and then we're going to march right into it, okay? So let's go um, with the Word of God here, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 through 3. This is what we're talking about. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and we're writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who belong to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. So what we know from last week in our discussion about historically, this is a church in Greece. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia. And this church is a brand new church planted by Paul, Silas, and Timothy that they are writing to. Paul has been kicked out of the country because of persecution and because of, because of his preaching um, for fear of his life, the, actual, the believers in the church there actually said, Paul, you need to get out of here. And so Paul has been kept from and never did get back to Thessalon Thessalonica, to the church there, but he's writing this letter to them. And he says, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Verse three, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of or we bring to our remembrance your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. What we talked about last week, and I'll keep reminding you every week as we walk down through this book, that the main central theme is hope for the children of Jesus Christ. In the world in which we live, whatever we're experiencing, there is hope in Jesus Christ, but more specifically, hope in the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're gonna be working on that all the way through. But here's our working definition of hope that we're gonna be working through and using over and over again is hope is the confident expectation of better days ahead. The confident expectation that there are better days ahead. That's what we're focused on. That's what we're working on. But we started last week with this. What are the identifiers? How do I identify a faithful, healthy church. Are we a faithful, healthy church? Remember, we asked that question. And the question that has to follow is, well, how do you know? If the answer is, yeah, we are, well, then how do you know if you are or not? And so we're working through the different identifiers on that. And last week, we got through truth number one, is that a church, a faithful, healthy church, will have a ministry that is continuous. We saw that they had, that these believers, these brand new believers in Thessalonica, they had a faith and a love that worked. We asked the question last week, how do you know who the real Christians are in a church? How do you know those who are truly, have a real genuine faith? And Jesus actually is the one who said, it is by their fruit that you will know them. It's by their works. And in this case, we have here these people who were saved 
And the reason you know that they were saved and they were children of God is because it was evident because of their faithful work and their labor of love. But they had another thing. They had a hope that endured. They knew what it meant to patiently endure and persevere under extreme pressure. We're going to work on this um, in the future. But it was this kind of enduring hope that will sustain a church like this and our church for the long haul. I don't know if you had as much fun as I had last week reminiscing about the 160-year, the rich heritage we have of a 160-year-old church and how awesome it is of the, the faithful work and the, um, the loving labor and the enduring hope of generations of true believers who have handed us a healthy, faithful church to build upon today. We have a great, rich heritage, and I'm so excited to be part of it. All right, so we're all caught up now. This is where we got through last week. Now we're going to jump in, okay, continuing on. How do I identify a faithful, healthy church? A faithful, healthy church, number two, will have a culture that is contagious. It will have a culture that is contagious. Now, those of you note takers, um, I've been told a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, Phil, you're going too fast. I can't get it all filled in. So right now I'm on purpose pausing and, and killing time so that you can get that. you still have it? Yeah, there it is. It will have a culture that is contagious. I'm going to work on that. I'm going to try to rearrange some things. So what I tend to do is go, here's the point, and then let's go to the verse. And they drop that, and you haven't gotten written in, and it really irritates you, and you don't hear the next 20 things I say. So, so here we go, okay? Um, 1 Thessalonians 1.4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that two things, God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. This church had a love and a calling straight from God. And I need to say to you, I want to say to you, do you know that God loves you? Hey, everyone in the balcony, how you doing? All right. You feel disconnected from us, but do we feel disconnected to you? Can you hear me? Because no one's like even moving up there. Okay, we need you in with us down here, okay? So do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that God the Father loves you? Yes. We need some more excitement than that. We need more than that, right? Yeah. Do you know that God loves you? All right, good, good. How about you at home online? Do you know that God loves you? How about everyone down here? Do you know that God loves you? <laughs> That's awesome. Way to go. <laughs> he does. And you need to know that. You know, last week, I hope that you believe me whenever I stand up here and say, hey, have I told you lately that I love you and tell you how much I love you? And you see that the elders stand before you and communicate to you how much we love you and how thankful we are for you and how we're praying for you and we're so encouraged by you. I hope you believe us. But you know, <laughs> people say a lot of things that they, you think they mean, but they, sometimes you find out they don't mean it. Well, here's the deal. When God says something, you can take it to the bank. When God says, I love you, and when he says to his church, I love you, and I have a calling on your life, when he says, I love you, he means it, and he's not monkeying around, but some of you don't believe it. And here's what I mean by that. Some of you have a trouble with God's love. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but I wanna just ask you, 
Okay, don't raise your hand, but how many of you struggle with receiving the love, the unconditional love of your Father in heaven? Some people struggle with that love because they can't get past the things that they've done, the dark things of their past, and they can't get past that because they think, how can God love me when I have done the things that I have done? Some people have a problem that, how can God really love me? I don't, I don't really know that God really loves me the way that he says that he does because even since I've been saved, I've done some really bad things, and I can't get past it. There are some other people that might be struggling today that are like, you know what? If God really loved me, here we go, he wouldn't let the things happen to me that have happened to me. You say God loves me, Phil, and I want to believe that, but right now I'm in the middle of something that God could spare me from, that God could keep me from, and if he truly loved me, he wouldn't let me go through this. Is that fair that some people struggle with that? I'm raising my hand because I have struggled with that. There are days I struggle with that. I just want you to know that when God says he loves you, you can take it, you can trust it, you can take it to the bank because he doesn't say anything he doesn't mean and everything he says is truth. And when God says, I love you, you know that he loves you. And when he calls you his loved one in his church, like they are calling them here in Thessalonica, it's because he loves you. For those who are in Jesus Christ, hear the word of the Lord. His eyes are always watching over you. I'm not making that up. That's straight out of scripture. You are always on his mind. He knows everything about you. He knows who you really are. Not the thing everyone else thinks you are. He knows what you really are. In fact, and that's a little scary, especially when you think that God knows what you're thinking. Some of you just woke up to that. It's a little scary that his eyes are always on us, too. You kids, you listening? God's eyes are always on you. You think your parents are bad. God sees everything you do. And he knows everything you're thinking. But here's the deal. God knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're struggling with, and he cares. God cares about the things you care about. It's true. You're like, God, he's got much bigger things to deal with than me. No, he doesn't. I mean, yes, he does, but no, he doesn't. But yes, he does, but no, he doesn't. Because he's God, and he loves you, and he cares about the things that are on your heart. They mean something to him. His heart breaks when your heart breaks. He grieves when you grieve, and he rejoices when you rejoice. Did you know that he keeps your tears in a bottle? He does. I'm not making that up. Look at Psalm 56.8. You keep track of all my sorrows. 
You have collected all my tears in your bottle, and you have recorded each one in your book. When your heart is broken, and you're crying tears, and God's like got his little bottle out, and he's like, come on. And he's, he's collecting all those tears. And then he, he goes over to his book, and he, and he goes, okay, that tear was for that, and that tear was for that. And he writes it down in his book. Does that encourage you? That's how much God loves you. That's how much God cares for you. Some of you have vials of tears stored up in heaven because you have gone through some things and your heart is broken and God is collecting all of those because that's how much he cares for you. That's how much he loves you. Do you know that God is for you, the scripture says? And if he is for you, Romans 8, 31, nothing can be against you. I thought somebody would say amen to that. I thought somebody would shout or something. Nothing can come against those who God is for without God being right there, right in the middle of it. We sang about that in one of the songs earlier. He'll never leave you. He will never forsake you. The Bible tells us and assures us that in Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors over trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness. We are more than conquerors over weapons of warfare. In fact, the scripture says nothing can or will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you know that? Nothing can, nothing will ever, nothing can ever separate you. Romans 8, 38 says, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That fires me up. He loves you and nothing can change that ever. Nothing can touch that love ever. Nothing can come between you and that love ever. And it's an everlasting love that was freely offered to you. You didn't earn it by good behavior and you can't lose it by bad behavior. Does somebody want to shout right now about that truth right there? Listen to me. Listen closely. Aren't you glad that his love, his everlasting, never-ending, never-separating love isn't dependent upon you being good? We'd be all toast. You already have all failed and we're all miserable failures if that were the case. Praise God, that's how much he loves you. And you need to know that. Do you know that Jesus shouted out what was in his heart for his people? This is, this is awesome. In John chapter 7, I don't have it on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. It said that Jesus on the last day at the climax of the festival, so Jesus is at a festival in Jerusalem, and on the last day at the climax of the festival, it says Jesus stood before the crowds and he shouted, he shouted, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come freely and drink. And when he does, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. 
Jesus said, I love you so much, and your Father in heaven, my Father in heaven, loves you so much that I am here. I am here for you. He's shouting. I'm here for you. If anyone would just come, come and drink from me. And when you do, you'll have rivers of water flowing out of you. That's how much God loves you, is he sent me for you. How awesome is that? The creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the lover of my soul, had passion and affection that erupted from his human throat as he shouted out his heart for humanity. That's special. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you. And here's the thing also that he has done. Not only does he love you, but he has called you. So, do you know that he loves you? Do you know that he's called you? (laughs) Are you sure? Are you walking in the calling? Take you back to Paul's vision. Remember last week, Acts 16. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy are doing what God has called them to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. So they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people they've never heard before. And remember, in Acts 16, they're, they're marching through in the second missionary journey, and as they're going through Asia, they're like, okay, God, where do you want us to go? And the Holy Spirit's saying, not in Asia, right? Not yet. And they're like, okay, well, let's go to Bithynia. They'll go to the north. Remember? And the Holy Spirit said, no, and stop them from going to Bithynia. And so what did they do next? Did they fuss about it? They, maybe they did. We don't know that they did. But what Paul says, what the Bible tells us is what happened is that Paul took Silas and Timothy to Troas and waited. They waited for their next assignment. And it came to them in the form of a dream. The Macedonian call, there was a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. And so they're like, he gets up the next morning. Paul says, we've got our next assignment. We're getting on a boat. We're going to Greece. We're going to Thessalonica. We're going to Corinth. God had a plan for them. The plan wasn't exactly what they thought. The plan wasn't what they had in their minds. Actually, when they were trying to do one thing, God stopped them and said no as the leading of the Holy Spirit, but then God made it crystal clear what they were supposed to do and where they were supposed to go, and they ended up where God wanted them to go to do the ministry God had for them to do because there is a calling on their life. I want you to know that just you don't have to be an apostle or a pastor to have a calling on your life. This message to these believers was that every single believer in the church had the love of God and the calling of God on their life to do work for him. It's not just a vocational thing. It's important that you know that. Some of you have been struggling with that thought all week long. I've been told by some of you and I've heard stories about others that are wrestling with this whole calling thing. Either because I don't know what my calling is. They're like where Paul was, you know. Well, we're trying to go here and that's not working. We're trying to go here, that's not working. What do you want me to do? And you're frustrated because you don't know what God wants you to do and you're like, when are you gonna let me know? Okay, I believe there's a calling but I'm not hearing anything. 
Some of you are like, I've heard what God wants me to do. I've seen the Macedonian guy. I'm just not sure I want to do that. It's not part of what my plan was. And I see it clearly, but I'm wrestling with that. I'm not sure I want that. What do I do with all of that? Well, here's what I want to say to you. I want you to remember that there is a calling, and it's for every Christian. In fact, Paul says, you remember Paul to the Corinthian church, where he writes, remember, brothers and sisters, remember who you were when you were, what's the word, when you were called. Remember who you were when you were called. God saved you, and he's called you, and he's got a plan for you. Remember when he wrote to those in, in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus? He writes, before God made the world, here it is, he loved you, and he chose you, and he decided to adopt you into his family. Before he even created the world, he loved you, and he chose you, and he's called you out from the world. He's adopted you into his family, and now he's got big plans for you to work for him. He did it just because he wanted to, it says, and because it gives him great pleasure to do so. Look at this, Psalm 139, 15. I'm gonna have on the screen, watch this. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb of my mother. You saw me before I was born. Get this now. Every day of my life was recorded in your book, and every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Amen. So what are you fussing about? What are you upset about? What are you worried about? Some of you are. Some of you are wrestling about this. I don't know what God wants me to do. Or I know what God wants me to do, but I don't want to do it. What are you messing around with that for? That happens to college students a lot. I remember when I was in college, I'm like, huh. you start to get all panicked in your senior year. You're like, you get to your senior year and like, I don't know what's next. I don't have a wife. You know, I don't have a career. I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't want to go back home to mom and dad. <laughs> you know, please, God, anything but that. And you're like in that waiting zone. You don't know. You know, this, this is what somebody gave me. I don't know where it came from, but this is what somebody gave me when I was really young. And it has stuck with me, and I've used it in counseling with many people who have struggled with this, and it's this. God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will. Do you understand that? If God has a plan for you before he even created the world, do you think he's gonna let you miss it? It's God's plan. And he wants you to know his plan a whole lot more than you want to know his plan even though you're desperate for his plan right now. Or you have been or you're going to be. I just want you to relax. What did Jesus say to be worried about? Anybody wanna stab that at that? What did Jesus say to be worried about? Nothing, especially the future. What are you worried about the future for? Here's what you need to do. You be concerned about my kingdom. Seek first 
my kingdom and righteousness, and I'll take care of everything else. It is the will of God that you be sanctified. It is the will of God that you live a righteous life. It's the will of God. You know enough about God's will and his plan for you to be busy every single moment of every day just trying to do what he's asked you to do in his word. And Jesus says, and in the middle of all of that, when all of that is going on and you're doing that and you're doing the will of your Father in heaven, he will make straight paths for your feet. He'll take you into the future and you don't even need to worry about it. He's gonna provide for you. He's gonna take you where he wants you to go. You don't have to be worried about that. In fact, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't trust in the Lord with all of your heart and, and not in your ability to reason through your life. But in everything, acknowledge God. Seek first his kingdom, in other words. And when you do, he'll make straight paths for your feet. And those, most of the time, those are paths you don't even understand. You can't even comprehend. How did I get here? Look at how God provided. The point, here's the question. What are you worried about? What are you fussing about? I'm deeply convicted about this right now. I got some things going on in my world right now that make my future uncertain. Not as your pastor, just in my little world. Don't be worried. I'm not like, oh no. But I got some things happening that, that, that like you get the ups and downs, right? And you're like, hey, praise the Lord. And then it doesn't work out and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> I'm so upset with this and I'm so depressed with this. And then all of a sudden God does something else. You go, hey, hey, hey. Let's be done with this, you know, and let's just go like this. Let's just trust in the Lord, and he will direct your steps. He'll take care of all of that because he has a plan for your life. Psalm 32, 8, look at it. I will instruct you, and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. How awesome is that? It's all of everything that we just talked about put together. He loves you, and he's called you. Let's move to the next thing. Because so, they, had, they had the love of God and the calling of God, but they also had a powerful, persuasive preaching. And that's what a faithful, healthy church needs and what faithful, healthy churches have is powerful, persuasive preaching. Paul says in verse five, our gospel came to you, excuse me, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. He's, what he wants them to know is don't forget, you know how we came to you, you guys. We didn't come to you simply with words. We came to you with strong, persuasive preaching that brought about conviction in your life and brought righteousness to you. And you need to remember that. And I just wanna say this, that God's word must be preached God's word must be proclaimed. In fact, the Greek word means is, is heralded. We don't use that word anymore. But do you remember we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar? I'm, I'm gonna help you see what the heralding means. Remember we were talking about King Nebuchadnezzar um, with Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel and how he made the proc he, he built this um, 90 foot golden statue and he wanted everyone in the land to bow down and worship his statue, remember that? Well, the king didn't go out and say, hey everybody, do what I tell you to do and everybody bow down. No, he picked a herald 
to take his word and proclaim his word, to preach, if you would, his word to all the people. And this is what it sounded like. The king's herald shouted out, okay? That's what the word of God says. The king's herald shouted out, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound, now here's the deal. The king's commands are not always good news to the people. But that doesn't matter to the herald. He's coming with some pretty bad news at the end of this message. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. This is the will of the king. Hear me. That's what a herald does. This is what a preacher does. What my job is, is to declare the message of the king. And our king is King Jesus, and his message is out of the Bible. One pastor puts it this way, a herald would never stand at the street corner and speak in monotonous tones about the message of the king. In other words, a herald would never go, um, you know, it's, this is going to be really hard for you to hear, and you know, if you don't want to hear it, that's fine. If you guys don't want to hear it, I just won't say it today. Um, but there's some truth I have for you. No one would ever do that. No herald would ever think about doing that. It's like the opposite of the job. Preachers need to preach the word. Preachers need to proclaim the truth. We live in a day where preachers don't want to, or, here we go, are afraid to preach truth. I can relate to that. Um, you hear me from time to time say, um, see the um and the uh, can I say this? What that is is I'm about to make some people mad. I'm about to proclaim some truth that isn't going to be popular. And I like to be liked. Eric, do you like to be liked? I want people to like me. In fact, I have a flaw. I have a personality flaw. I want everybody to like me. <laughs> but here's the deal. You cannot be a preacher if you're concerned about everybody liking you because you have to come with the message of the king. You have to come with that, and people don't want to hear authoritative speech these days. They don't. They, it's going to get worse. The Bible says in the end time, People will gather to themselves people who will tell them what they want to hear. Their little itchy ears want to hear. They want to put away the, the, the heavy preaching, the heavy proclamation of thus saith the Lord because it's uncomfortable. But I want you to listen to me. The authority 
is not in the preacher. You need to understand that I understand that I've got nothing to say if I'm not saying it from God's word under the power of his Holy Spirit. You're wasting your time if you come to hear me say what I think. Because there's no power in that. There's no authority in that. The authority for the preacher comes when they proclaim the message of the king. And when King Jesus tells us something and lays it down in his word, the preacher is supposed to get up and preach the message from the king no matter what. And a faithful, healthy church needs a powerful, persuasive preacher, especially in the days of false narratives and counter-biblical teachings like what we're living in today, much like what was happening in Thessalonica when this was happening. And Paul said, we came, you know how we came to you. We came to you guys, we didn't come with just words. We came with strong, powerful, persuasive preaching that brought conviction with it because we're bringing the message of the king in a culture, a counter-biblical culture. Look at this picture. This is a picture of the background in the background. This is Thessalonica today. This is a, a current picture of Thessalonica. And what is in the background? Anybody know what mountain that is? Mount Olympus. Anybody know what Mount Olympus is famous for? Greek mythology. Here's another picture of the mountain. I think we have another one. Never mind, maybe we don't. Yep, there it is. There's another picture of Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus was believed to be the home of the gods. Of course, not our god, okay? They created their own gods. The Greeks believed in what was called the pantheon of gods. They had a multiplication of gods. They had hundreds of gods. They believed that it was on Mount Olympus where Zeus's throne was, and he ruled from the top of the mountain over the affairs of men, and all the other gods of the pantheon were subject to his will. You want to know something crazy? Can I tell you this? In, in very sensitivity, I mean, in sensitive tones, because uh, Prince Philip just died. Okay, I don't know if you're keeping up with that. Um, the husband to... Queen Elizabeth, and he just passed, and they just had his service and everything, but I was listening to uh, some stories about his life, and you know, he is from this Greek um, region, originally, he was born to that, and they actually believe, and they're telling everybody that he was one of the gods, the one of the pantheon that became a man and fell in love with a foreign woman, Queen Elizabeth, and went across the sea in order to live with her, and now that he is dead, he has returned back to the mountain of the gods. That's not true. People believe that kind of stuff. It's real to them. It's because they've been taught a lie. It sounds harsh. But I just want to say, and Paul is making it clear that Paul and Silas and Timothy, they, they were deliberately led and called not only to this cesspool of a city, Thessalonica, that we talked about last week, but they were called to this pluralistic nation. This, this nation that believes in, in hundreds of gods, not too unlike America, where you can believe anything as long as you don't tell me I can't believe it. Believe anything you want, make up whatever story you want, make whatever religion you want up, just don't tell me the truth. That's the culture that these guys were called into. And these servants of God, they march right into this kind of religious, false religious system with powerful, 
persuasive, in the power of the Holy Spirit, unapologetic preaching to proclaim the message, and it went something probably like this, knowing Paul. Everyone hear the word of the Lord. People of all races and nations and languages hear the message of the one true living God. How popular was that in this culture? As he entered, he goes, don't remember, guys, how we came to you. All of your gods are nothing. They are false gods. They are dead gods. All of your gods are idols made of wood and stone that you made up. There is only one God, and there is only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. And you need to repent and be saved from your sin and be saved from the death and judgment that is to come. Repent and be saved. This is the message that they came to. And he goes, you remember how we came to you. Straight up, didn't pull any punches, didn't come lightly. We came in the power of the Holy Spirit, and as a result, conviction came upon you, and you were saved. Thank God for a heritage of powerful, persuasive preachers in a church like ours. Do you know I'm number 32 of the preachers, the pastors that this church has had over the 160 years? What a great list of faithful servants who poured their lives into the word every week and then came and deposited what they heard from the Holy Spirit into and onto the congregation and those people became doers of the word and we enjoy the heritage of the faithful, healthy church that we have today because of their faithfulness for decades. Praise the Lord for that. Let's look at verse six. You received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of your severe suffering that it brought you. We're going to work on that later on. But in this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. In the way that you responded and you received the message with joy, even though there was severe suffering, you imitated us because we have done that and you imitated the Lord Jesus Christ because he has done that. And so here's what they were. They imitated their leaders. First of all, um, Paul, one of their leaders, um, they imitated him. A faithful, healthy church will imitate their leaders. That's why it's so important for leaders in churches to be living the way they're supposed to be living. That's why it's so devastating to all churches when a leader falls into sin. But you need to understand that you, you don't have to wait until a leader is perfect in order to follow him. Because you'll be waiting till Jesus comes. Paul, remember Paul? In Romans, he says, you need to understand, I'm a messed up man, is what he said. He goes, I don't know what my problem is. The, the things that I don't want to do and I shouldn't do, I do. The things that I want to do that I should do, I don't do. What is wrong with me, is what he says. I'm messed up. I am, in fact, the chief of all sinners. Oh, but by the way, I want you all to follow my example. What? You just told us you're the worst guy in the church. Yeah, but follow my example. And here's why I can say that, because I am Though I am not perfect and I am broken and I am struggling, I am following Jesus Christ. And what I want you to all understand is that your pastors, 
your leaders, your life group leaders, they are not perfect people. They're broken people, struggling, probably think they're the chief of sinners. But if they're following the Lord Jesus Christ, they can say with confidence, hey, everybody, follow us. We're struggling just like you. We're struggling probably more than you, but follow us because we're following Jesus Christ. Hey, Carl, hey, elders, what a huge responsibility on our backs. All of you life group leaders, all of you leaders, the people that lead your home, you men that lead your homes, huge responsibility. Follow Christ. Because in order for a church to be faithful and healthy, they have to have leaders that they can follow and imitate. And that's what these people were doing. But they also became examples. Not only were they imitating the examples before them, in doing so, they became examples to all the other believers. Look at it in verse 7. And therefore, they had a culture that was contagious. As a result, you have become an example to all of the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. Do you see it? They followed their leaders, and as they're following the example of their leaders before them, they became examples to all of the other Christians, and therefore this faithful, healthy church was contagious to the rest of the whole region and all the churches in that whole Greek area. How awesome is that? Here it is, okay? This is... this. uh, a really bad run-on sentence, but this is what Paul is saying here. A church filled with loved, called, born-again people who are willing to submit to the powerful, persuasive preaching of God's word, become doers of it, and imitate their righteous examples will develop a contagious culture that will serve as an example for all the other churches to follow. That's what he's saying. That's the message here. And I need to tell you that we, if we're gonna be a faithful, healthy church, we need to be a church like this that do these things. We need to continue in this and all the more as we see the day approaching. I'm challenging every one of you to come to church every Sunday. This is what we're all about here. We teach about three things, worship, walk, and work. We believe it's important for every person who calls this their home to come every single Sunday unless Can I say it? Unless providentially hindered. Make this a priority to come and worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make it a priority to get into a life group and start doing life with everybody and start growing in your walk with the Lord. Get on a service team and start working for the Lord. This is what it's all about. And we do it together. We do it in community. You don't do this at home in isolation. We draw Strength from each other. I just messed this up in the first service so bad. I have to say it. Actually, during one of the songs, I was sitting down there and I was talking myself out of this, saying, just don't say it in the second service. Some of us, and you know who I'm talking, you, uh. <clears throat> can I talk to you who are at home online with us right now? Um, some of you, and I don't know who I'm speaking to, but some of you need to stop letting the cares of this world keep you from gathering with the church. 
there, I said it. And um, what, what's gonna, the reason I'm nervous about this is because I will automatically be labeled as not caring and you're, you know, you're taking this pandemic too lightly and you don't think it's a big deal. I know that it's a big deal. I know that it is real. And there are some of you who are at home right now that should not come back to church because we know, we know enough about it. We didn't know anything about it a year ago, but we know a whole lot more about it now. And we know who it affects the most. And we know that the elderly and those who have compromised immune systems and have other pre-existing conditions have to be extremely careful. And it might not be wise for you to come to church at all right now. Thank God we have an online presence like this. So I'm not making light of this pandemic. It is real and people have died and I know people who have died and I know people who have suffered greatly from this. So I'm not making light of it at all. But I have to say, because I love you, I have to say that some of you need to stop letting the cares of this world stop you from doing what God has called you to do in the church. We gather every week and we're not supposed to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. Just, can I just, just man. This pandemic, Satan knows what he's doing. And he knows all he has to do is scare us to death. And he could stop the forward momentum of his church. We are not strong, isolated. Our strength comes in numbers. Our strength comes in the gathering. That's why God made it that way. Come and gather and don't forsake the assembly. We gather every week so we can see each other. We gather to draw strength and encouragement from each other. We gather to learn from each other. Through our victories and our defeats, we share in our strengths and we share in our weaknesses and we are living examples to each other in our various gifts. Our existence in Christ is supposed to be lived out in front of each other in the community of the church. And he, we are in the big body of Christ but the way that we do ministry is in local assemblies. It's not about you and me individually. That's not what the church is all about. It's all about us collectively as a church. We need each other. And all the more as we see the day approaching, it's not gonna get easier. It's gonna get harder and harder. But rejoice in this, that as we gather together and strengthen each other, we're stronger in numbers as we move forward in the hope that there are better days ahead, even if we have to go through extreme persecution and suffering, we get to go through it together and we have hope for the future, but we're gonna have to have strength to get through now, the present. Do you hear me? Am I making any sense at all? We're a healthy, faithful church. You ready? Let's just keep moving. And I'm gonna dump, I'm gonna jump off of this here pretty soon. Um, number three, a faithful, healthy church will have a mission that is communicative. A faithful, healthy church will have a mission that is communicative. Their message was heard throughout the nation. Verse eight, the Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. 
So verse seven, remember chapter, verse seven said this, that they were examples to all the believers. So they're not only examples to all the believers in all of Greece, but because of their faithful work and what they're doing and their love for each other, it says that their message is being heard in Macedonia and Achaia, which is that whole Greek area, the northern and southern part of Greece. But then watch this, not only was their message heard throughout the nation, their influence was known throughout the world. The bottom part of verse eight, your faith in God has become known everywhere, therefore we don't need to say anything about you. So you're, you're being an example to all the churches, your message is ringing out in our region, and your influence is known in the entire world. How awesome is that? They had a mission that was being communicated and broadcast all over the world. They had a far-reaching ministry as a result of being a faithful, healthy church. That's what we're supposed to be about, by the way. That's what that's, we, we as a body of Christ are supposed to be about. We're equipping you to love God, love people, and what's the end result? so that we will influence the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we gathered together. That's what we're doing right now. We're equipping each other, and we're equipping you so that you can be right with God, right with each other, and then as a result, we influence the world, and our reach is vast. I mean, if the pandemic has done anything for us, it's increased our reach in the world. Thank God we have an online presence Thank God we have people that can still join with us because they can't come back to church. Thank God we've got people that are joining us right now from all over the world. And as a result of what Satan meant for evil possibly, God means for good because now we actually have an expanding ministry preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. That's awesome. Are you okay? Let me just rehearse a couple of things that God is opening for us. We have 28 global missionary partners. I don't know if you know that or not. But around the world, we're supporting missionaries that are believe just what we believe, and they believe they're supposed to have an influence in the world with the gospel, and we're supporting them to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I love our rock cry ministry. Matt, I'm so thankful that we get to be part of a ministry that takes the gospel to unreached people groups, people who have never heard the name Jesus before. Like, who in this world today never heard Jesus? We have lots of them. And Rock Cry in Zimbabwe, in whatever that, Zambezi Valley, Zambezi, Zambezi? Anyway, whatever it is, that Zambezi Valley. That whole region right there is, is going out with the gospel, and we're actually, our church is supporting a full-time, we pay his entire salary, Canaan, to be the pastor over all the elders. There's like 150 elders that are going out with the gospel and helping with the new churches that are being planted in that whole region with these people, just like in Thessalonica. We're getting ready to bring to you a recommendation that we will be taking on another one of the pastors to help Canaan, and we just pay his whole salary. That's the reach that we have in the world. I love the fact that we're partnering with Time to Revive. Time to Revive is actually in multiple countries right now. 49. How many? 49? 49 countries right now. With te- we, we gave money this past fall to buy packets to go teach people, teach people in the church of Jesus Christ in areas all around the world to go out and train people to bring the gospel to people who don't know it so that we can have the influence of the gospel in the world. We get to be part of that. We need to be expanding in all of these things. The, the deacons, just Thursday night, 
voted to release $4,500 from our ministry dream fund to give to Jim Bontrager. Um, you know the Courageous movie? Do you remember the Courageous movie that came out? Well, he is involved in um, writing a new Bible study curriculum to help our believing brothers and sisters in law enforcement to stand in the darkness, which who doesn't want to be part of that these days? I mean, helping them. I don't know if I'd want to be part of what they're doing, but I love the fact that we have Elkhart Christian Academy as a ministry of First Baptist Church where we are intentionally partnering with families to raise the next generation of kingdom warriors. And you just need to understand, that's what we're all about. We want our reach. We want our influence to be known in the world. All right. Here's number four, and then I'm gonna wrap it. Um, A healthy, faithful church will have a reputation that is conspicuous. We're gonna work on this more as we go into the future here in 1 Thessalonians, but I just wanna read to you that they... They tell how you turn, this is verse nine, they tell how you turn to God from idols. I, don't, I want you to just be curious about who the they is. Paul just comes out with, they tell us that you turn to God from idols to serve the living God and the true God. Isn't that, see how unique that is to their situation in that pantheon of God's? And how you wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. What Paul is saying, that everywhere we go, We hear about the Thessalonian church. (laughs) Who wouldn't want a reputation like that? It's like we have a a missionary, right, that goes out and he's all over the world and his whole thing is just to go to all different places. But everywhere he goes, he hears about the reputation and the strong faith of First Baptist Church in Bristol. How awesome would that be? That's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to get visible in our community and get visible worldwide with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what our goal is. Let me just, let me just close with this, okay? I'm calming down now. Um, as we slug our way uh, right now in this life through the ruins and the cesspools of our broken city, of our broken nation, of our broken world, as we struggle to live righteously among the broken down walls and the broken down lives that we see all around us. The hope is, and we receive our strength from the fact that this is not our home. It's not about what's happening right now, it's about what we do in the right now for Jesus But we don't worry about the right now because our hope is in the soon appearing of our Lord and Savior. Someday soon, Jesus is going to burst open the skies and he's going to appear to take us home. But until then, we've got to live in the now. And in the now, we live in the hope that whatever happens to us this week, right, whatever the economy does, no matter what the gas prices are, no matter how many illegal immigrants cross the southern border, no matter what our leaders in Washington are trying to turn our country into, trying to turn our culture into, trying to turn our children into, trying to turn our nation and the entire world into, in the end, we, the Church of Jesus Christ, win. Now it's hard right now But the future that we look to is the fact that we're victorious because of what Jesus did, but we got a lot of work to do right now. 
And someday we're going to shout for joy as we climb out victorious out of all this. But right now, we need to continue seeing signs of a faithful, healthy church. We need to continue with the message. We need to continue to be faithful. We need to dig in even stronger in the day in which we live in order to impact and influence our world with the gospel and do the work that God has called us, his church, to do, the calling that is on every one of our lives. There are better days ahead. We just need to trust him for the now. All right, so stand with me. And uh, we may lose you online, and for that, I am deeply sorry, but we're gonna, I'm gonna invite some people to come forward at the end of the service. I'm just gonna sit here And if you would like to come for prayer about two things, this is what, it's just the Lord said, this is what you need to pray over some people about. If you are not sure about what your future holds and you're nervous about it, you don't know what your next job's gonna be. We had one gal come up after the service and the first she said, I had a plan for retirement, but my company terminated my position a year and a half early to my plan, and I don't know what to do now. If you're in that kind of situation where you don't know, you know God's got a calling on your life, but you don't know what that calling is, and you, you're, you're nervous about it, or you're fussing about it, and you want some prayer over that, I'd, le- I'd love to speak into you. Or if you have heard the Macedonian call in your life, and you don't know, you don't really like it, and you want some help to know. You know God has set a direction for your life, but you're like, I don't like the direction that I'm seeing, and I need some prayer over that. I want to invite you people that I'm talking to, if that's you, just come up here. When everyone's going out there, just come up here. I'm going to sit right here. I'd love to speak into that with you and pray over that with you, okay? So let me pray. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters here, and I just, I thank you for this church, and I thank you for the calling. First of all, we're all grateful for your love, and that you call this out of this world and that you have a plan for our life. So I pray that you'll strengthen my brothers and sisters as they go out of here, that right now they'll walk in their calling in the, in the relationship they have with each other in the body of Christ. But then as they walk out of this building, that they see their life as a calling on their life to do the work you have them to do out there in the world and then have the courage and strength to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help them as they go. Help us all. We need your wisdom and we need favor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you as you go. I would love to pray with those of you who would like prayer over the calling of God in your life. Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching will inspire you to love God, love others, and influence the world for Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today, we'd love to know about it. You can click on the link for our online connection card. If you haven't yet, you can download our church app and you can see more opportunities and messages and even share this message with a friend. And go to our website, fbcelkhart.org, for even more opportunities. We hope to see you back here next Sunday morning at FBC Elkhart.